Thanks. So page 879, Psalm 103. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as sins deserve or repay us as according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is those, with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And our New Testament reading, which Glenn will be speaking to us from today, is page 1522, chapter 2, verse to 12. Jesus heals, Jesus forgives and heals a paralysed man. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat with the man who the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, 
Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the gospel of the Lord. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's a great opportunity for, for me to open up God's word to you. Uh, it's a familiar passage, of course, uh, from Mark's gospel, uh, the healing uh, and forgiveness of this paralyzed man. But I thought it'd be good for us to reflect upon this because the forgiveness of sins is the very heart of the gospel. Um, I've, uh, uh, I'm aware that today is a great day of celebration for us. There's also a painful day for those who are left behind at the Church of the Good Shepherd. And we mustn't forget our brothers and sisters there who for whatever reason have chosen not to join us. We mustn't let that break our fellowship with them and our relationships we've had over many years. And uh, God is doing a new thing here and we can rejoice in that. And those who have chosen to remain there, uh, well, that's their decision. We need to honour them in that regard. But today's a great day. And it's a great day to, to teach the word of God, which of course is always at the heart of an Anglican service, to, to teach God's word for, them to, for us to understand uh, the nature of God's word. Mark's gospel, of course, you might recall, begins with uh, John the Baptist uh, preaching uh, a, a, gos a gospel of repentance and uh, remission of sins. And the words from Isaiah uh, and Malachi open up Mark's gospel, I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare your way and the prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. And of course, that's John the Baptist's entrance into the ministry of Jesus. We don't see much of John the Baptist in Mark's gospel because Jesus then comes on the scene and Jesus' main role is as a teacher. He's a teacher. He does lots of things. He does miracles. He performs healings. But he's a teacher at heart. So you'll you notice in, in chapter 1 that he, um, he goes to Capernaum and people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not like the teachers of the law, one who had authority. That's the nature of, of Jesus' teaching. Later on in verse 27, the people were amazed as they said to other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. You recall in Matthew's gospel, when on the Sermon on the Mount, he starts speaking to uh, the disciples at the end of the sermon, a great crowd has gathered around him, drawn by his teaching. I must say that I've always longed to have 
more people at the end of my sermon than at the beginning of my sermon. <laughs> I've had it in the reverse, of course. Um, but when Jesus taught, he was one who, who captivated pe people's attention and drew them in and they were convicted by the Spirit of God of the truth of what Jesus was saying. In chapter 2, he comes back to Capernaum. He's been in Capernaum, he's in Galilee. Capernaum is on the, on the Sea of Galilee. His ministry starts in Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, interestingly. And there he was gathering people. He comes back and it says, Mark says, he came home. Obviously a familiar place, perhaps someone's house uh, that he'd come to, that he would regularly was offering hospitality to Jesus. And at this particular occasion, the man had offered up his home and, uh, and people had come. So many gathered and there, was, uh, and there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. That's how Mark opens up this story. Now there are four characters or four groups in this story. Uh, the first group, of course, is the crowd. The crowd that comes to hear Jesus. The, the crowd is overwhelming. Uh, the, the crowd is, uh, I, I don't know if you've probably been in a place where there's been a large crowd. It might be a, a, a football uh, exhibition or it might be a, or it might be a funeral of a, of, a, of a young person where a lot of people gather to. Um, and sometimes you might be caught outside or you haven't got a ticket or whatever it might be. And this was the nature, we, we don't know how many people were gathered, we don't know how big the house was, but the crowd were there. And the crowd at this stage in Mark's Gospel are receptive, they're keen, they're interested, they're amazed at Jesus' teaching and the authority with which Jesus teaches. That's the crowd. Of course, later on in Mark's Gospel, the crowd turns away from Jesus and the crowds are baying for his blood. Uh, with Pontius Pilate there seeking to administer justice but ever so woefully. But at this stage in Mark's Gospels, the crowds are there as, in a sense, uh, disinterested, not uninterested, but disinterested people who are keen to hear what Jesus says. Uh, the second group of people are the teachers of the law. You, you've heard of them. They, they're actually there in the, in the house. Notice that they, they got a seat. Either they got there first you know, the kind of person who you know, comes in and says, look, you know, this is my seat, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, when you come to a new church, you don't know where to sit, do you? <laughs> you don't know if you're sitting in someone's seat or not. <laughs> so, uh, but never mind, that, that sense in which here are the teachers of the law, they're another group, but they're not disinterested, they're very interested. But they're so interested, they're actually there to check up on Jesus, the teachers of the law. The third group, of course, are the four men who bring their paralysed friend to come and see Jesus. That's the fourth group. And of course the last group is, is Jesus. Jesus himself, who is the very centre of this uh, situation. So let's look at these, uh, these four people. Here we have the crowd coming. They're gathering, they're, gathering. They, they can't, they, they're standing outside the door, they're peering through the windows because they haven't drawn the blinds because of the, there's no, the heat's not as bad there as is in Cairns. Uh, and here they are gathered listening to, to Jesus. And then along comes four friends. Uh, they've got a friend who's paralysed, uh, unable to walk, no mobility of course, and they've obviously heard that uh, Jesus is in town. 
We're not quite sure how, uh, you know, it, one wonders how people knew before Facebook that Jesus was in town. But nonetheless, the word had obviously got out and people were finding out that he was there in Capernaum at this place and the crowds had got there. Well, of course, gathering up a man who's paralysed is not going to be a fast operation. You're going to have to, you know, help, help him. He might need to be helped to be dressed. These very keen friends of his are bringing him on a pallet, on some kind of stretcher, all the way from wherever he was living and get there. And what do you know? No disabled access in this house. I mean, what was the council thinking? Uh, not only that, there's a crowd there. There are people all over the place. How on earth are we going to get in? This, this is not very good, you know, and there's no, there's no amplification, uh, there's no ability. All the, all the people were inside, some were standing outside and perhaps listening, but what are we going to do? Here's this man lying on a stretcher. Then one of them says, I've got an idea. Why don't we come in through the roof? You're kidding, says one of them. I mean, really, through the roof. Well, of course, in... In Israel, in Galilee in the first century, uh, roofs were flat and they were made of, um, of a clay, uh, a, a mixture of clay and sometimes some vegetation uh, to give it some uh, substance and it was, uh, it was a way in which you, it was easily made and the sun would bake it and so it would be there. You might remember uh, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter after the resurrection was in Joppa and he had that vision on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house. So roofs were places so there were stairs outside the house and you could go up there and perhaps sunbake or do what you'd like to do, I suppose. And, uh, but here the, the, one of these enterprising young men said, let's go in through the roof. So you can imagine, can't you, they get up the roof and then they start digging through this clay roof. Just imagine you're, you're, Jesus is speaking and then suddenly a little bit of dirt drops down, a little bit of, you know, bracken drops down and it gets more and more. And, and if you're going to be lowering a man on a stretcher through a, man, through, through a hole, it's not going to be just a circle like a manhole, it's going to be a full rectangular width. This is some mighty excavation that these young men are doing. And you're there sitting, and no doubt, you know, you're, you're listening to Jesus, and this, you know, the, the things come down, and you, and you think, wow, what's happening now? And then suddenly, a man is lowered on a stretcher right in the midst. Well, nothing could stop uh, a congregational meeting than something like that. Okay? You can imagine, if that was to happen here, the Estedford people, <laughs> what would they think? Uh, if the crowds were so great here at Northern Hope at one stage and people start coming, coming through the roof, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sort of stop the speaker for a bit, isn't it? You know, the preachers are going to stop and something's going to happen. So here we are, so here comes down this man and everything stops. You'd look at the man, you're sitting there, or you're standing by the, uh, by the door, you're looking there, you look at the man, then who would you look at next? You'd look at Jesus. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? And what does Mark record? This is an extraordinary situation. When, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. Some people think it's just the faith of the four people, but I think it's the faith of the five people. The man came willingly 
His four friends said, "This, let's go." He wasn't saying, yeah, "I'm not going to go." He, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't brought there kicking and screaming. Well, a bit difficult for a paralysed man, anyway. But that sense in which he he couldn't have, you know, he was. It was his faith as well. And so, here are four faces looking in through the hole in the roof. There is the man below, and Jesus says, "Seeing their faith, your son, your sins are forgiven." my son. What would you have thought if you were one of the men at the top? Hmm. Is that all? <laughs> we thought you were a healer. We thought you were, you know, someone's going to be, you know, do something miraculous. Your sins are forgiven? Hmm. Scratch their heads. That's one reaction. The crowd, of course, are dumbstruck. We don't hear what this crowd say. But then Mark gives us a really interesting insight. And if you notice in the text it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Actually, they'd had their tablets out, a different kind of tablet. <laughs> They've been making notes on what Jesus has been saying because they're teachers of the law. They know Moses. They understand the prophets. They understand the writings. They want to make sure this, this man, this new teacher in Israel, is actually saying the right things in accordance with their understanding. But they're thinking to themselves, and what do they say? Huh, who does this fellow think he is to say that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? One of the interesting things about half-truths is that they sound convincing. A person who doesn't give you the whole truth might say something, but then they twist it or move it around. In one sense, of course, they're absolutely right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But what they didn't understand was that God was standing before them in human flesh. They could not perceive who this person was. This son of God, this son of man. Remember the words that uh, Jesus heard from the Father when he was baptised by John in chapter 1 of Mark, Behold my son whom I love. This is the son of God, incarnate in the flesh, Yes, of course only God can forgive sins, but they did not recognise him as God. I love the next verse. Remember, the teachers are saying this to themselves. They're thinking to themselves. And immediately, Jesus, who is God, knew in his spirit what they were thinking. That's a bit scary, isn't it? Can you imagine if Trevor is preaching to you and he knows what you're thinking whilst he's preaching to you? He knows you're thinking, oh, have I got enough morning tea this morning? Oh dear, what am I going to do for lunch today? Oh dear, I've got this work tomorrow. I've got to, I've got to do this project for tomorrow for my boss. Oh dear, I've got retirement things tomorrow. Who knows what tomorrow is going to bring for a retired person. I speak as one. Um, that sense in which, imagine that 
your pastor or your bishop knew what you were thinking right now. Fortunately, it's not a gift that God has given to me as a bishop or to Trevor. Thank goodness you say. But God knows what you're thinking. No thought of yours can escape the attention of the God of the universe, the Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And when you stand before Jesus, you stand before the omniscient one, the one who knows all things, knows your deepest thoughts, knows you better than yourself. That's the character of Jesus. And that's what these teachers of the law did not realise. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? You can imagine the teachers of the law. Did you say something? Did you whisper something? Do you know, were you thinking the same thing that I was thinking? They haven't even talked to each other. They're just thinking this to themselves. And suddenly Jesus exposes their very thoughts. A bit scary. Jesus says, what are you thinking these things? What is easier to say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your seat and walk? Well, think about that for a moment. What's easier to say? Well, in one sense, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because who, one, who knows whether that's true or not? We're not going to find out to the last day. Much harder to say, get up and walk, because if he doesn't get up and walk, then you've lost credibility. But think about that again. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take your mat and get up and walk? And what does Jesus say next? He says, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I tell you, take your mat and go home. In actual fact, it is more difficult to say your sins are forgiven if that is true. Mark's Gospel, of course, will announce to its readers how Jesus forgives sins. In Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We know that it is death on the cross which will establish the basis for forgiveness for all who put their trust in Jesus. And in order that the people around them, the crowd that are there in this house, might know that the Son of Man, namely Jesus, has authority on earth, not just in heaven, but authority on earth to forgive sins, he then gives the physical demonstration of that, take up your mat, get up and go home. Now, think of the four men whose faces are glued to the scene from the roof looking down. What's going to happen next? And their friend who's been paralysed for we don't know how long gets up, picks up the mat and walks out. No medication for these emaciated muscles 
he's had for so long. No doctor there to take his, his temperature and his blood pressure. No physiotherapist there to massage his arms and his legs. What Jesus has done has been a complete, holistic healing of every muscle and bone in his body so the man is whole. But more than just physically whole, he's forgiven. His sins have been forgiven. The declaration of sins forgiven, accomplished by the cross yet to come, is still very real in that man's heart. Just as it was for the people of the Old Testament. They were forgiven, not through the sacrifices of the Levitical system, but because of the cross of Christ. God retrospectively forgave their sins and gave them a picture in the sacrifices of the Old Testament of what it would be needed to take sins away, and that's the shedding of blood. But not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of God's own Son. To take the wrath away, to remove God's disfavour and pronounce God's favour upon this paralysed man. And that's the same message that is true for us. We are all have been paralysed in some sense, perhaps not physically, but spiritually, dead to God. But God has made us alive, and as we've exercised our faith in Jesus, God has forgiven our sins, not for any merit of ourselves, but because of God's full, unmerited grace. And so the man walks out. We don't hear from the man. We certainly don't hear from the teachers of the law. But we do hear from the crowd. Having said to the man that you may take your hat and go gather, he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. What a joy it must have been for those people. Don't know about the teachers of the law and what they thought. I said there were four characters in the scene. But there's actually a fifth character, isn't there? Do you know who the fifth character is? The owner of the house. What do you think the owner of the house thought? Ha! <laughs> I just did that new last year and now look at the damage they've done. The man walks out and that doesn't even offer to help. Goes, well, that's the last time I'm having Jesus come to my place. Thank you very much. Well, he could have said that. I kind of think he went up after everyone had gone, went up on the roof and put up a little sign. Jesus was here. On this day... A man's sins were forgiven. And the damage to my house is of no consequence to me if people are going to be saved through Jesus. There was a cost involved for that man. He had to repair the roof. There's a cost involved in, for you in joining Northern Hope, Andigan Church. 
There's a cost for you that when you have members of the youth group come to your place for a, perhaps a Bible study or a meeting and they spill coffee on your new carpet and you think, good grief. <laughs> but if Jesus is being proclaimed, if people are learning about Jesus, what cost is not too great for you to sacrifice so that people might come and have everlasting life? That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's on display for us here in this early part of Mark's gospel as we read through the story of Jesus who lives a life we could not live and dies the death that we deserve. Jesus, our saviour, the one who forgives sins and heals us completely. If not entirely in this life, in the life to come with the resurrection of the body, with a new world, where death will be taken away and there'll be no more tears. That's the prospect that we who have put our trust in Jesus, and if you've not done that, and you're here today perhaps just as a visitor, and not put your trust in Jesus, then you won't have your sins forgiven and you'll stand before a righteous judge. But if you put your trust in Jesus today, your sins will be forgiven and you'll be welcomed into the heavens and the new earth that God has prepared for those who love him. May God so bless us and Northern Hope Anglican Church particularly as they hold on to that truth, live it out and proclaim it to others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who saves so magnificently. But it was at such a cost and therefore we love you the more the cost of sending your own dear Son. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his teaching, for his life, for his perfection, and for his death and resurrection. And we pray, Father, that we might grasp hold of him as you've grasped hold of us, that we might live our lives to your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks, Glenn. Yes, uh, Jesus is certainly worth the cost. Uh, we don't have to have our sins paralysed.